are a whole lot of books that are written today and have been written in days past and gone on leadership. But for many, this book, Book of Nehemiah, really is a testament to what leadership really should be. Nehemiah exemplifies what a true leader should be. In a time when his nation had been ravaged and pillaged and many of its uh, citizens were in exile, if you go all the way back to Nehemiah chapter 1, you were introduced to this great man. It says, the words of Nehemiah, son of Hakilah, during the month of Chislev in the 20th year when I was in the fortress of Susa. We're introduced to Nehemiah. It's about the, around the time of the month of November and December. And he says he was at the fortress city of Susa, which was really the winter palace for the king. Back then they had sort of like what our presidents have today. They have Camp David that they go to outside of the White House and other places. But uh, so Susa would be considered the winter palace for this king uh, that uh, Artaxerxes that he goes to. And he says, listen, I was there. His name, Nehemiah, means Yahweh has comforted. Nehemiah, his name. And we're going through on Wednesday nights the names of God. Thank you, Sister Nina, for that book. I've heard good reports on that. Everybody's like, man, I really like that book because we are learning the different names of God and the aspects of who God is. Now, here's the thing. The more you and I know about God, the more we're able to know God. And names are very important. And Nehemiah's name means Yahweh has comforted. What does that mean? Nehemiah lived at a time when his country and nation was totally had been destroyed and his heart and his desire was to go back to the land that he had loved and, and for his people to be reunited with God. And through it all, God had comforted Nehemiah by telling him some of the things that we're even going to talk about even this morning. We're not going to cover the whole book, but if you read that book, you'll find out why Yahweh has comforted. It's very important in terms of who Nehemiah was. So it says there he is. He's there at the city. He's at the city, the fortress city of Susa. He gets a report from one of his brothers, Hanai. He says, when Hanai, one of my brothers, arrived with men from Judah, I questioned them about Jerusalem. So he, he's finding out what has happened to this city that he had loved and that many of them have been taken, uh, have been taken from. He says, uh, just for you to know, uh, Nehemiah, he says, and the Jewish remnant that has survived the exile, they said to me, the remnant in the province who survived the exile are in great trouble and disgrace. Jerusalem's walls had been broken down and its gates had been burned. Just so you know, Nehemiah, the, the city that we grew up in, the place where we has been, has been destroyed. The walls had been broken down and its gates had been burned. That, it, it would be akin, if, if you've been born in a place or you were raised in a place and you were moved out of there to another place, hopefully your heart would always be, home is always important. 
and if you know that your home has been destroyed, the fact is that Nehemiah says, they're telling Nehemiah, listen, where we grew, where we came up with, the walls have been torn down. The gates of that magnificent city have been destroyed. I like what the Bible tells us Nehemiah's reaction was in verse number four. He says, when I heard this, I sat down and I wept. I mourned for, the, for a number of days, fasting and praying before the God of the heavens. Nehemiah's reaction is, he sat down, he mourns, and he weeps or cries over the situation. I don't know when we have difficult times and we, we look at, you know, when you look at the city of Dallas and Houston and parts of Texas right now, we ought to be praying for those people down there. Because but be for the grace of God, that could have been us. I mean, we face cold. We're, we're, we're more prepared for cold weather than they are. But uh, it's not beyond the realm of possibility that uh, that could have been us and not them. Good news is that uh, for them, hopefully, help is on the way. And we can help out if you, there's all these different places that you can give to that's going to help those people down there. And when we do that, we were reminded that when Nehemiah found out that his home place, the place he grew up, how it had been destroyed and torn down, yet he says his first reaction is not to try to figure out how to fix it immediately, but how to go to God first. That would be the first key point is that when we have troubling times or we're in a troubled situation or we are in a situation where there's uh, difficulties, our first reaction should be, number one, to pray. He says, I sat down. I didn't pack up my bags and say, let's go and let's see what we can do. No, I sat down and I wept and I mourned, not just for a half hour, 10, 15 minutes, but for a number of days. And he did something that our sister Sigrid likes to talk about. He fasted. He fasted and he prayed. Before the God of the heavens. See, there's only one place you and I can go to. Where do we go when we have trouble? I hope we go to God first. That's the first, that's our first uh, safety valve would be, hey, Lord, I'm in trouble. I need to go to God. And that's what Nehemiah does. And listen to his prayer. He says, the Lord, the God, Lord, the God of heavens, the great and awe-inspiring God, he Keeps his gracious covenant with those who love him and keep his commands. He says, let your eyes be open and your ears be attentive to hear your servant's prayer. That I now pray to you day and night for your servants, the Israelites. I confess the sins we have committed against you. All the problems that's going on, Nehemiah could have exited himself from the situation. No, he says, I confess the sins that, you ought to circle that, we have committed against you. Both I and my father's family have sinned. Hey, I'm a part of the problem too. I'm not isolated. I'm not exempt from what's going on. 
What do we do? We acted corruptly towards you and have not kept the commands, the statutes, and the ordinances you gave to your servant Moses. We just flat out disobeyed you, God. We haven't kept the commands. We haven't kept the statutes. And we haven't kept the ordinances. We're kind of doing our own thing. We're doing what we think is right in our own mind. We're, 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 we're looking at what Moses had, what you had given to Moses. We're changing that to say what we wanted to say or how we feel about it rather than taking it as your word. You haven't, commit, you haven't kept those things. But he asked the guy, he says, please remember what you commanded your servant Moses. You said, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. That's what he did. They were unfaithful, and as a result of their unfaithfulness, they have been and were scattered throughout the many nations. But he says in verse 9, but if you and I return to me and carefully observe my commands, even though your exiles were banished to the furthest horizon, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place where I chose to have my name. If, you were, if you've been disobedient, and they were, but if you return back to me, if you put first things first, if you put me as the head and the top of everything that you say and do, I will gather you from all these different areas, and I will bring you back to the land that I promised you, to the place that I originally designed. For my name to dwell. He says, they are your servants and your people. You redeem them by your great power and strong hand. Please, Lord, let your ear be attentive. God, hear what I'm asking. Hear my plea. Hear my cry. Have you ever come to God and asked God, listen, God, hear me. Are you hearing me? My heart is heavy. I'm in a situation. I, I, I need you, God, to do something for me right now. Hear me. Are you listening? Hear what I'm saying. Now, you know what? God always hears. His line is never busy. But when you're in the midst of it, guess what? You, you and I sometimes are, it's, and there's nothing wrong with it saying, God, Pay attention. But God, are you hearing what I'm asking you? Do you really hear me? Because sometimes our faith does wane. Sometimes our faith does get weak. It's not a sign that we don't believe in God. But in life and in circumstances and things that are going on, when you've been praying about a situation and it seems not to be getting better, but seems to be getting worse, the humanness part of us might say, I doubt if God's ever really, are you listening? Because my situation isn't getting any better. Seemingly, it's not getting any better. That's what Nehemiah does. These people have been enslaved for hundreds of years. They are taken out of their home country, transplanted to another place, and now he gets word that what that great city was, it is no longer. And he's asking God, you made the promise that if we would obey and, and do your statutes and obey your commands, you would pour out for us a blessing. And yes, we have sinned. Yes, we've been unfaithful. Yes, we haven't done that which we ought to do. But I want you to hear me, God. They are your servants. They're your people. These are your people. 
You, God, redeemed. You brought them. You, you paid for them. You redeemed them by not their power, but by your great power. God, you saved us. Not we saved ourselves. It was by your great power and your strong hand. I am kept as a Christian today. I'm kept as a child today because of God's strong hand. It's not that he dumps me out of his hand. It's many times I get out of his hand. I elect not to do some things that I ought to do because of my own sinfulness and my own selfishness. I think it was Deacon Millie used to sing the song, Hold to His Hand. God's unchanging hand. God never lets go of us. We let go of him sometimes. And then he just says, please, Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to that of your saints. Not just hear my cry, not just hear my plea, but God, hear all the pleas and cries of your people. Why? Because they delight to Revere your name. Give your servant success today and grant him compassion in the presence of this man. And at the time, I was the king's cupbearer. God, hear my prayer. And what he really says here at the, at the end is, I'm getting ready to go to talk to the king. I'm going to ask of him a favor. And if it's going to get done, it's going to get done because of who you are, because you control the hearts and the minds of men and women, boys and girls. Now, if you read in chapter 2, what you find out is that all that happens was he does go to the king. The king pays for his trip, gives him materials to help build the wall, gives him free path. The king does everything he can do to allow Nehemiah to go back to Jerusalem and rebuild the wall. you got to remember, these were captains. These were people who had nothing and yet, this king supplies them with everything that they would need to rebuild the wall. To which, when we get into chapter 2, Nehemiah explains how he goes to the king, Artaxerxes, and what he says to the king. And the king sees that Nehemiah is sad. And, you know, sometimes our countenance isn't always what it should be. If you ever have somebody look at you and say, is, is everything all right? What's wrong? Because they see maybe in your eyes or maybe they see in how you look that something's bothering you. That's what the king, because he had a close relationship with Nehemiah. Nehemiah was the king's cupbearer. He was the guy that, if you want to say, was the chief of staff of everything that took place in the, in the palace. Whatever, before it got to the king, it came through Nehemiah. He was... When he says cupbearer, we many times think of it as he just ate and tasted his food. It was, a it was far more than that. He had his ear and eyes on the pulse of what was going on around to help the king know what was going on. And he looked at Nehemiah and he says, what's wrong? And Nehemiah says, the place that I came from isn't in good shape. I need to go back home. I need a leave of absence. To go back. And help my people. And what does he do? He simply fulfills it. Over in chapter 2 and verse 
11 really focuses on Nehemiah and his leadership. He got the report. He heard what was going on, found out about the situation. We get to chapter 2, verse 11. He says, I arrived in Jerusalem. I got there. And had been there for three days. What does he do? He gets up at night and he takes a few of the men with him and he goes and examines the walls for himself. He says, I examined, inspected the walls of Jerusalem that had been broken down, its gates that had been destroyed by fire. I went to the fountain gate and the king's pool, but further down it became too narrow for my animal to go through. So I went up at night by way of the valley and inspected the wall. Then heading back, I entered the valley gate and returned. The officials did not know where I had gone or what I was doing, for I had not yet told the Jews, priests, nobles, officials, or the rest of those who would be doing the work. So I said to them, you see the trouble we are in. You see that? You see the trouble we're in. Jerusalem lies in, lies in ruins, and its gates have been burned. Come, let's build Jerusalem's wall so that we no longer be disgraced. Let's restore back its glory. Let's bring back praise to God. He's going to enable us to reconstruct it, this wall. I told them, verse 17, I told them, in verse 18, I told them how the gracious hand of my God had been on me and what the king had said to me. Their response, they said, let's start rebuilding. And their hands were strengthened to do this good work. They looked, they saw, and they knew it could not be done by one man, but it took everybody's heart to rebuild. And he says, Nehemiah, when I told them how God's gracious hand the gracious hand of my God had been on me. And what the king said to me, their response, the people's response was, let's start rebuilding. Let's get, let's get this thing back in order. Ezra, who was a compatriot part of with Nehemiah, they both were there around the same time. He expresses in Ezra chapter 7 and verse 6, Six, he also talks about God's hand. He says in Ezra 7, 6, come up, come up from Babylon. He was a scribe skilled in the law of Moses, which the Lord, the God of Israel, had given. The king had granted him everything he requested because, why would the king do this? Because the hand of the Lord was on him. Verse 9, he began the journey from Babylon on the first day of the first month and arrived in Jerusalem on the first day of the fifth month since the gracious hand of his God was on him. Ezra 7, verse 28. And who has shown favor to me before the king, his counselors, and all his powerful officers? So I took courage because I was strengthened by the hand of the Lord my God. And I gathered the Israelite leaders to return with me. Ezra 8, 18. 
since the gracious hand of our God was on us, they brought us Sherebiah, a man of insight, from the descendants of Mali, a descendant of Levi, son of Israel, along with his sons and daughters, and 18 men. And then Ezra 22. I did this because I was ashamed to ask the king for infantry and cavalry to protect us from enemies during the journey since we had told him. The hand of our God is gracious to all who seek him. But his fierce anger is against all who abandon him. Ezra 8.31. We set out from the Ava River on the 12th day of the first month to go to Jerusalem. Here it is. We were strengthened by our God. And he kept us from the grass of the enemy and from ambush along the way. They did what they did because of God's gracious hand was upon them. Somebody says, that's nice, Pastor, but what does that mean? I would invite you to take a look around this morning. Our walls have been torn down. We are in, we, right here, today, we are in despair. But the answer to our situation is, go to God in prayer, number one. I don't know all the reasons why. But I do understand that part of leadership is that the leader takes responsibility. In a meeting we had not too long ago, I shared with those that are on the finance committee, I take onus because I am the pastor, that there are some things that I have not done as pastor. I share with them the idea that over the last few years, probably for me personally, uh, been going through some things to the point that I have been discouraged about different things pertaining to the church. To the point that it's affected me, to the point that I've been uh, not an effective leader as I should be. Somebody said, well, how can I, why, why would you allow that to bother you? Because I am human as anybody else, you get beat up enough, you do sometimes pull back. The fight that you had leaves you. The, the idea that people say, whether it be family, friends, co-workers, co-members, or whatever, the idea that people could say you're the pastor, but in your mind sometimes you really aren't the pastor. In name, maybe, but in actuality, sometimes maybe not. You may be, you may, I sometimes look at who I am and where I am and where I want to go. Uh, I, I say, well, am I just the brother or am I just the friend that is part of the people that I grew up with? 
Or am I, Lord, did you really call me to be the pastor? And I summed it all up like this. I would rather go down fighting than surrender. That's where I'm at. I'm not happy that 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14 people are here. That's an indictment on us. And, uh, and for all those that claim to be members of this church. Somebody could say, and then some have said, I'm the problem for the church. To which I would say this, if, if, it's, if it's really about me, I have no problem. I will step down and you can find somebody else to do, to become your pastor. That, that's, 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 you know, I'm not here because I want to stay here. I'm like Nehemiah. I look, I'm looking at our situation and our walls have been destroyed. We're in ruins. The question is, do I, as Nehemiah says, do I really believe that God's gracious hand has been and is upon me and us? My answer is yes. Based on what, Pastor? Based on what God has done for us. From where we came from to where we are today, it's all been, not because of us, because of me or of any one of us, it's all been because of God. God has blessed. There is, there is no logical reason, if you look at the numbers, that we should even be here. But we are, which is a testament to the faithfulness of the few people that are here. And I don't know, there's a, there could be a myriad of reasons why a lot of other people aren't here today. But I would venture to say that for a lot of the people who aren't here, the answers are the reasons why really, if you really, you, 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 they and you and I need to take examine of ourselves. What is it? If we look at the city and we say we love this place and we want it to be the best it can be. In order for it to do that, it starts with me as leader. But it also, if you read the text, it also that once the leader said, let's rebuild the walls, guess what? The people didn't sit back, oh, how are we going to do it? They just said, we're in it, let's do it. They agreed with Nehemiah. They all said, hey, let's get to work and do this thing. Because they understood it was bigger than them. Over the course of, what is it, 50, 15 years, I guess, almost 16 years, I've heard it all. I've heard people talk about the church. I've heard people say, man, Pastor, we're so glad that, you know, you guys are, you have a church, and we're, we just, you know. And a lot of those same people that said that aren't here. You and I, we need to come to the realization of this one point. You and I cannot make people do what they do not want to do. They have to have, number one, they need to, number one, the moment a person is saved, Jesus Christ calls them out of darkness into the marvelous light. 
The relationship that they have with Christ determines the relationship they're going to have with the church. You can't have church relationship and not have Jesus, and you cannot say you have Jesus and not have a relationship with the church. It doesn't work that way. He puts within you the desire to want to live and to be and to, to, to express your gratitude and praise and honor and worship to him for saving you. But he also, within that context, says, where can I do that? I can do that. And the only entity that exists on this earth that's all about God is the local church. I've got to find a place. And if this is the place, I pray you find a place for you. But if this is, you need to find a place where you're taught the word, you're preached the word, you're learning the word, you're growing in the word, and your life is becoming different Day by day, moment by moment, the fellowship, the enjoyment of the people that are there, the growth, the work of the ministry, all those things are all part and parcel of being the type of church that Jesus Christ wants us to be. Where are the workers? I, 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 I've heard the cry. I've heard, I've heard the 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 condemnation not so much condemnation what's the word I want the the expression of well pastor you don't allow anybody else to do anything else well no that's not necessarily true if you really check the record we've started out trying to do some things we just never followed through on what we say we're going to do I've got the paperwork in my office of all these different things that people were going to do and yes we lost some of those same people but the work still should go on and it does not make good sense to put somebody in a position or say they're going to do something and they don't do it. you got to have people who are willing to do the work. Nehemiah gave the expression, listen, do you believe God's hand is on us? Yes. Well, if it is, they said in response to him, number one, God's hand's on me. And if it's on me, it's on us. They said, let's do the work. Let's pull up our Take off our tie and let's get dirty. And what I know today, I, Brother Milk, I just talked to your son Friday. We were talking about church. I said, Brother, I told uh, Pastor Bryson, I said, Pastor, I'm going to tell you something. Whether we like it or not, COVID 19 has forever changed how church is done. Be it good or be it bad. I said, one of the good things is it has forced the church to realize it's not about coming here. We come here as believers to get strengthened, to be renewed, to go back out into the world. For the true work of Christ is not here, it's out there. We're the hospital. Come in battered, bruised, and beat up, and bleeding, and and sore or whatever, and come in and let the healing balm of the gospel and the healing balm of the fellowship and the word of God heal you to allow you to go back out and once again take some more blows for the kingdom of God. The work is not here. The work is out there. And somebody says, well, we don't have any youth. We don't have any, we don't have any young people. Well, there's a solution to that. Go fishing. This whole neighborhood. Pass out. Hey, we're inviting you to come. We're going to, we got a little group, a youth group we got, we're trying to get going. 
with the, the kids would like to come. You, you say, people don't do that anymore. People don't like that. We've done that. People don't come. Since when do we not keep doing something or try to do something because we think people won't come? Hmm? We have to believe that, number one, God changes the hearts and minds of men and women, boys and girls. People have said, I'm not coming, and they find their way coming. You're a witness to that. There was a time in your life you said you weren't going to come. You weren't going to do. I'm not going up there. I'm not. And guess what? God worked you to the point that you just got up and said, guess what? God called me. God saved me. I want to be a part of the church, wherever it may, excuse me, wherever it may have been. God's still in the saving business. God still is in the church business. Three entities, family, government, church, are the three institutions that God has ordained. And we can see in our society, we can see in our own family lives, and we can see it in our church life, that when the church is not what it should be, not just Cornerstone, but all churches, when we're not doing what we're supposed to be doing according to this, the whole society, the whole culture, our families are disrupted because we're not doing what God wants us to do. We're not doing the work. And it is work. In the mind, like my brother reminds me so much, that if we're going to do this thing, we got to sweat, pray, say, God, we're down to a membership maybe of what? 15 at the, at the highest? Maybe on a, I'd say members. I ain't talking about people who just come. There's a difference. Some people just come. Attend. I'm talking about actual members. If we're going to make it, and this is the honest of God's truth, if we're going to make it beyond this year, the next couple of years, it's really simple. We need to change some things. We need to do some things differently. And we need to go fishing and, by God, allow people the opportunity to come to hear, to learn, to be all that God wants us to be. If not, we're, we're fooling ourselves. That's reality. Nehemiah went at night to look at the walls. He said, man, look at that. And you got to realize this. They didn't have bulldozers. They didn't have cranes. The, the stones to the walls were huge. And they were lying down in the valley. He had to figure out how I'm going to get that gigantic stone from down there back up here and how we're going to put that back together to build the wall. He examined it. He saw, man, but he had in his mind a plan to get it done. And the plan was, the people said, we're with you. We're going to do the work. I may have to go down. They said, Nehemiah, do you need me to go down there and, and try to, we'll tie ropes, we'll do whatever, we'll try to drag these stones and boulders and rocks and massive uh, stones back up to the, up the hill and place it back in. And I got a little bit of uh, carpentry work or I can do some masonry work. I'm able to chisel. What, I, whatever it is I can do, I'm going to do it. I can't sing, but hey, by the way, 
It ain't about the ability. It's not about how good it is or not it is. It's that I have a heart that wants to sing and express to God how good he's been to me. Got up this morning. We got ready to come to church, and she says, my God, the birds out there are chirping. I said, they know what's going on. They already know. That number one, the sun is shining. The S-U-N. Number two, they know that it's going to get a little bit warmer this week. Number three, they're probably thinking, man, I'm going to be so happy when this snow is gone because now I can get to the ground and get some worms. I've I'm, I'm, been dependent on those wonderful people out there that have those little bird feeder things. If not for that, we might be starving. If the birds, you know the verse, you've heard the scripture, if the birds and nature are crying and worshiping and praising God, how much more should you and I, who are saved by God, call from hell to heaven, saved by grace, forgiven by mercy, and we are planted in a new place. We have it. How much more should we be singing to the glory of God? Every Sunday morning, it's not about just doing a song. And No, I'm coming because I need, I need to say thank you, God. Thank you for the blessings. Thank you. We got people in our own midst that have family members that have been without heat for a week. Here, right here in Wilmington. That's, listen, the thing I've heard on the news these past few days is this. I'm looking at Dallas, people are news people. I'm looking at Dallas and Houston and Texas. We ain't talking about no third world country out somewhere on the other side of the, of the, of the globe where people who, who, who never imagined, this is what I tell you, there are people who never ever thought that they would have to carry a bucket or, or, or big containers to go get water, to go get propane, to get food. It'd be as if you and I, we've been blessed. I don't care what you talk about. We've been blessed. There's not a single one of us in here that has had to stand in the line to ask for food, to stand in the line for water. We've been blessed. And for people like us who never, ever thought that they would have to stand in a long line to wait to get a, a container of water. That's, uh, that's humbling. Pray we never have to do that. But if it comes by way, guess what? I'm still going to be able to say, God, God, your gracious hand has been upon us. I'm able to say as pastor of the church, God, your gracious hand has been upon us because we're small in number and somehow you keep us, keep on keeping on. I have no logical reason to explain it other than God's gracious hand. And also, along with it, the goodness and the grace and the giving of the people of God. That's it. We ain't got professionals. Ain't nobody, well, ain't nobody here that, I, that maybe you may be a closet millionaire. I don't know. But ain't nobody I know that has a whole lot of money. Huh? Some of them playing a lottery hoping we win that billion dollars. Saying, if I win the billion, guess what? 
I'm going to pay off the church. I'm going to help some of the poor people. I'm going to give some money to some of these. I mean, a billion dollars is a lot of money. You could not. The idea that people who win the lottery squander it is beyond my comprehension. I don't, listen, I tell people, listen, if I, if, if I won $10, I'd be happy. It's 10 more than I had before. God knows what if I'm in a billion? After taxes, over half a million dollars? What can you do with that? A whole lot of stuff. If your mind and heart is right. Somebody said, well, do you play a lot of No, I don't do that. But I'm just saying if it was to happen, that would be hopefully my mindset. You can only drive so many cars. You can only build a big enough house. How, what, 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 what can you do with all that? I, I get mad. I get upset. I should say, man, I get upset with my country because I don't understand who cares if we're going to Mars. Huh? I don't care about Mars. I don't care if there's life on Mars. I don't care about this little satellite that they done set up that landed on Mars. And we're going to find out, is there life on Mars? Maybe the life is buried in the dirt and sand of Mars. But who cares? I don't. I just know one thing. We got people that live on the other side of this drive-thru, on the back side of the drive-thru, in the woods, in the snow, in the cold, without a place to live. We got people walking around Wilmington. You see them in your neighborhood, my neighborhood. Just walking around, bags, bikes, containers. Where are these people going? I looked at my mom's window the other day. I'm like, there's one, two, three. There's four people just walking down the middle of the street. Where are they going to? Had their little bag? I don't know. And we worry about Mars? We got families without jobs. We got businesses that are closing up. And we're worried about Mars? Our priorities are messed up. Nehemiah took examine of the situation. And he said, we can do this. We can't get so comfortable. The old timers would say, at ease in Zion. We can't be so comfortable that we are afraid to do some things because we're afraid of what might be. We got to say, we got to pull up our pants, tighten our suspenders, tighten our belts, and say, we're going to do this thing. We're going to make one forward march for God and his kingdom. Because God's brought us too far just to leave us. I'm going to leave it all on the battlefield for my Lord. And at the end, if it doesn't, then God, you know what? We gave it the best shot we had. But it's going to take each and every one of us. And even some who aren't even here. To say, you know what? Let's change some things. Let's do something different. If we're going to be attractive to people from the outside, we got to not change our doctrine and our teaching, but change in how we do some things so that people will want to come. The vision of the church to me is this. We want to change people's lives to the glory of God so that they could be and become the best that they can within the hands of God. I look at the potential of some of the people I know, and I just think, you, you, God, if God would ever get a hold of your life, and you really get a, let God get a hold of your life, you would be a great giant of the faith. There's someone sitting right in here in this room this morning that have talents and have gifts and has abilities. 
that we need to tap into. Amen? It's just the reality. Because it's going to take all of us working together to the glory of God to affect the kingdom of God. Somebody said, what's our kingdom? Our kingdom is right here in front of us. When you walk out and get in your car and drive back to wherever you go to, that is part of the kingdom of God. And the question we need to ask ourselves, honestly, is do we want to make a strong impact for God? It's not about to put a name out there for Cornerstone. If we can do anything, we say, hey, you know what? To God be the glory because he's blessed us. We've been blessed. We're given water. That, that, that's, that's great. That's wonderful. But there's so much more that we can do. Nehemiah had it right. He said, when I understood God's gracious hand was upon me, I shared that with the people. And the people simply responded, let's start rebuilding. Let's rebuild. Let's rejuvenate. Whatever the word you want, rebuild, restart, reboot, whatever. The people said, let's do it. Amen? And their hands were strengthened to do this good work. God's going to give us the strength. God's going to give us the wisdom and the knowledge and the understanding to be able to do the good work. Amen? God's gracious hand is upon us. And it will always be upon us as long as we seek him.